Well, hello and welcome to episode number 265 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Uh, I'm, well, it's actually, no, it's 296. Oh, blimey. How could I get that wrong? Episode 296 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and this week I am not in the PT UK studios because I'm back in, uh, well, back in the old PTUK studio, but upstairs this time in uh, in my office. So I'm uh, joining wow. you this week from the office. So we'll, we'll, we'll call it. Well, it's still PTUK Towers, isn't it? At the end of the day. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 absolutely. So you're just a PTUK Towers instead of uh, the studio this week. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, obviously the voice there, who is <laughs> back in the control centre, we'll call it the control tower. Uh, <laughs> over, <laughs> over in his. I see what you did there. I know. <laughs> In the control tower, as always, uh, pushing all the right buttons, uh, is uh, the birthday boy himself from last night, Matt Smith. Oh, well, yes, thank you very much. And what a lovely birthday we did have, too. Uh, sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it was my fault we didn't do a show last week. Not because anything went wrong. I should just stress that, because the last time we didn't do a show on a Friday, there was a small incident. Um, but, uh, yeah, we went, out, we went out to, well, well, I, I say my favourite restaurant, but uh, I think it's fair to say it's everybody who has ever been involved in the show or, or anything is there. Um, Armando's been there as well, haven't you, mate? <laughs> I definitely have, definitely have. Yes. Now, look, we—I have to say here, look, this, this, this man, this man here, right, that you can see on the screen right now, who's hiding in a seven-year-old bedroom, uh, seven-year-old's bedroom, uh, to get away from the fact. It is what? It is now five a.m. Where you are? That is correct. It is five a.m. Here, Good I did kick Maddie out of her bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> threw her over to sleep with her mom so yes. I could steal this bedroom and uh, do, do this, show. this, is, this uh, morning. You, sir, are a legend. So thank you very much for getting <laughs> up at this stupid time. But, uh, yeah, so uh, no no, uh, no, Nev this week, sadly. Apologies from Nev. Uh, he's got lots of work-related things uh, to get he ready has. to. Yeah. But I think it's worth mentioning actually now, he is very busy for PTUK on Wednesday, Carlos. Yeah, because uh, on Wednesday uh, this week, Nev is uh, off to go and see a certain chap who used to fly uh, Concorde uh, many years ago. Mm. He's off to stuff uh, to do. Uh, well, he's off to do actually he's off to do a special interview uh, for the show, um, which is coming up. I can't remember when that's when we're going to play that out, Matt. I think it's going to be. Yeah, probably... not sure. It's got, much work needs to be done to it, but it's a, it's going to be a very fascinating uh, interview that we've got coming up. Yeah. With um, uh, John Hutchinson. That's uh, that's it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, John so Hutch John Hutch. Yeah, John Hutchinson. For those of you yeah. who uh, may have heard his name before, uh, John Hutchinson used to be a former BA. Concord captain. Yeah. Uh, he flew uh, Concord between 1977 and 1992 for BA. So uh, Nev is uh, is off to do a an interview with him yeah. on Wednesday. Absolutely. He, and, he uh, is the he is essentially the the man in charge of all the buttons on that one because he is. we're being very very kindly APG have allowed us to borrow the legend that is Captain Nick yes. uh, to lead the interview. So honestly, it's going to be a, an interview very much uh, worth listening to. I literally cannot wait for till that is the can I, I i in the can i cannot wait it's going to be fantastic so it is the day today it is the 30th of november and uh, time just coming up to five past ten on this saturday morning welcome to everyone who's joined us in the world of uh, youtube land big uh, hello to auntie liz uh, who was in the chat room 
right from, well, I think she's in about an hour before we start. <laughs> oh, uh, we've nice. got to Evan Shu. Uh, we've got, let's scroll down, John Jester. Hello to you, John Jester. Chris Griggs. Hello to you, Chris Griggs. Hope you're all well. It is safe to say, Matt, it's freezing cold here. In the yes, UK, it, right? it's, it's quite cool. What, what's it like in the States, um, Armando? Well, it's actually pretty mild. I'm here in the Washington, D.C. area, and yesterday we went walking around the National Mall and all the museums, and it was a pleasant 51 degrees and sunny. Wow, okay. I mean, actually, it's sunny here, to be fair. It's just very it cold. Very, very cold. Yeah, I had to uh, I had, I had to actually, this morning, I went and got the, um, the obligatory pre-holiday haircut, Nice. And uh, I had to, I had to actually go in the garage and retrieve a tin of de-icing fluid. Oh my goodness! For uh, the fans. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> oh dear! It's definitely cold here. Absolutely. It's Is safe it... to say that it's safe to say that next Friday when we fly back into the UK, um, it's going to be a bit of a shock. It's going to be yeah. a bit of a shock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think we should get on with the business. Yes, at hand. we've got lots uh, to bring you in the show this week. As always, we've got uh, a great little interview coming up later on the show. Uh, which is from another one from the Dubai Air Show, where Nev is speaking to uh, the guys from Pratt & Whitney uh, this week about the uh, geared mm -hmm. turbofan engine, and uh, he chats uh, to uh, Jim Spike from uh, Pratt & Whitney. So we've got that coming up later. We've also got the military segment, as always. Uh, but first, we've got uh, the commercial news to bring you for this week. So uh, if everyone's ready. Yes, 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 yes. Ready to go? Let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story, this is on simpleflying.com. And uh, Turkish Air Cargo A330 in a collision uh, with Ethiopian Airlines A350. Ooh, ow. So a Turkish Cargo A330 has collided with uh, an Ethiopian Airlines Airbus A350. The incident happened at Kinasha uh, in Niji Airport in the Dem Democratic Republic of the Congo. So the... Uh, Turkish cargo uh, A330-200F uh, registration uh, um, my, my head's got a mush here Victor or That's Tango it. Charlie Tango Charlie, Julia, Oscar, Julia, Victor. Oscar Victor That's because I haven't yeah, had my coffee go. this morning I've not had my coffee <laughs> uh, was in Kish, no, Kish, Kish, Kinshasa following a flight uh, from Istanbul. Meanwhile, the Ethiopian A350-900 uh, registration Echo Tango Alpha Whiskey Oscar arrived in the DR Congo uh, capital after completing flight uh, ET841 from Addis Ababa. An Ethiopian Airlines employee got in touch and provided this following statement. So he said here that uh, while the aircraft was taxiing out, its wing hit the tail of the ET. Uh, uh, Airbus A350 aircraft, which was parked during Rick's regular uh, ground time. Uh, a narrow news shared a post by local citizen uh, McClure Kawabi, who showed images of the collision, and the tweet explained the wing of the Turkish airline aircraft hit the back end of the Ethiopian's airline plane. I'm sure Matt's possibly putting some pictures up there on the screen. Uh, the close-up images show some minor damage to the outer body of the planes, although there doesn't seem to be any major harm done uh, from what they can see in the photos. However, we hope that the crew and passengers on board were safe, which obviously were. Uh, Turkish Cargo is the shipping subsidiary of Turkish Airlines, 
Uh, this is not the first time the parent company has been involved in an airport collision. In April, uh, Virgin Atlantic Boeing 787-9 collided with a Turkish Airlines Airbus A340 at Johannesburg aircraft, uh, Airport. Uh, this resulted in the grounding of both aircraft. Additionally, the independent reports that last year an Asiana A330 began to taxi uh, off and collided with the tail of a Turkish A321. We covered that in a show, I remember, last year. Uh, today's incident uh, comes a day after the collision of a fuel truck at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. Uh, this resulted in damage of a couple of uh, American Eagle Bombardier CRJ-900s. Both the aircraft were preparing for departure at the time before the crashing. Uh, so Ethiopian is extremely proud of its A350, probably not so much now with dents all over it. Uh, early this month, the airline celebrated the first flight of the Air Airbus aircraft uh, Type 2 Toronto according to plane spotters. It currently holds 13 units of the model within its fleet. The first of these arrived in June 2016, and the latest one came only last month. Meanwhile, Turkish Airlines holds 67 A330s within its fleet. However, only five of these are the A330-200F, the freighter variant. This is the Airbus Ranges all-cargo edition, which is capable of carrying 140,000 pounds of weight. So, another ding. We haven't had a ding in it on a... Um, on the news feeds for a while. So, uh, yeah, our late, the latest um, uh, collision then, guys. I'm guessing uh, you've seen the pictures on uh, on this uh, story, Matt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It looks pretty nasty, doesn't it? It's, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I, is it one of those where it's probably about time we started having people actually sort of, I, I, don't, I don't understand how these things happen these days. You'd have thought <coughs> they'd be guided. Do you know what I mean? There'd be somebody mm. watching all, all, the, all, the, all the corners. Uh, but that's perhaps my naivety of, of not having spent much time in, in airports, perhaps. I mean, uh, what, Armando, what would you say they could do to, to stop something like this from happening in future? What, where, where are they going wrong? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I think every single time that we do one of these stories, we say the same thing. There are people that are supposed to be watching. There are supposed to be people that are guiding and have hand signals that should be stopping the, the tug drivers. Now, it looked like the Turkish Airlines uh, or Turkish cargo airplane was on the taxiway. So it 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 almost looked like the uh, the A350 backed up into it. So that those people should have been there and should have had some hand signals to the guys driving the tug, but they're really just unnecessary mistakes. Now, when I was looking at the story, I, I did search for the link for that Dallas Fort Worth fuel truck. Now that one, that was, if, if you get a chance to go over and find that video, it, I'd have no idea how the driver of the fuel truck got in between two airplanes it's pretty tight on the ground with some of those regional jets but uh, the ground handling sometimes is just it honestly is the most dangerous part of of, any, of yeah. uh of aviation yeah i mean i mean presumably i mean and an incident like this i mean not to mention the delays obviously because this is suddenly two aircraft that essentially aren't able to take off mm. uh and all that kind of thing i mean the the, the money involved in this relatively simple incident um must be huge. I mean, this must cost a lot of money when something like this happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just like you're saying, the, the delays just from the passengers, rebooking the passengers, the actual physical damage to the aircraft, and then somebody's going to have to pay, you know, and then the investigation of who's going to pay for what, who's liable. Yeah, it's just time and money yeah. unnecessarily 
Yeah. Absolutely. So while uh, you know, perhaps you know, they, they need to, to learn lessons from this and, and uh, yeah. step up. You know, you know what they say. You know what they say. They say that uh, an aircraft sitting on the ground doing nothing is not earning the company any money. Well, there is there is that, yeah. yeah. Especially if it's then got to go to the paint shop to be, you know, have that buffed <laughs> yeah. out. Uh, but anyway, we'll move on to the next story, and this is on the Pontefract. Uh, <laughs> it's the Pontefract and Castleford Express. Uh, now, uh, interesting story though. Uh, all jokes aside, so this is the headline: is a pair accused of shining laser pens at Ryanair flights and police helicopter. Uh, so two men are to go on trial accused of shining a laser at Ryanair planes and the West Yorkshire police helicopter as they were being flown over West Yorkshire. So Robert Horton and Ross Horton are accused of endangering or distracting the pilots of the aircraft's West Yorkshire police helicopter. Um, the uh, pair appeared before Leeds Crown Court today on the 27th of November uh, where, the, uh, where they entered not guilty pleas. Both defendants are accused of three counts of shining a laser beam towards an aircraft on the 16th of May this year. Uh, the first two counts relate to Ryan airplanes. Count three is in relation to the West Yorkshire Police helicopter. They're accused of directing a laser beam towards an aircraft which endangered or distracted the person in control of that vehicle. Robert Horton, 31, of Rookhill um, in, well, in Pontefract basically, and Ross Horton, uh, who was from Featherstone, only 18 in this particular case, will go on on trial on the fifth of uh, on the fifth of November next year. I wonder if it's it's interesting here because they've both got the same surname, although different addresses. So perhaps they they must have been together perhaps when this happened. Anyway, the trial is expected to last one day. Both defendants were granted unconditional bail until the trial. Uh, I mean, it's good that uh, they've uh, they've caught them. They they have, I noticed put in not guilty pleas so uh, it'll be interesting to see what evidence they have to sort of pin it to them i guess do you know we all we all know that how easy it is to get these lasers you can oh, go yeah. on, on on websites amazon that eBay, I've got one. whatever i've got one you can you can pick these lasers up now for less than a fiver yeah, yeah but i tell you what what is i'm seeing a lot more of online now is is these military grade torches that have uh, a very 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 high intensity um lens and brightness as well so i wonder whether these are going to start to be um, to be a nuisance well, you, think the, you, 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 you can narrow the beam you can narrow the beam on the torches there's, there's some really really high powered you know military grade style torches online at the moment you can buy which obviously is a bright white light as well obviously probably not quite as bad as a laser but um could still be dangerous mm, what are your thoughts armando yeah when i was flying there in the uk now this happens everywhere but uh we used to fly a fairly low level and in the middle of the night. And occasionally we would get spotted either by those torches like you're talking about. A few times I saw some lasers. We would see lasers in some of our deployed locations. And it's it's incredibly distracting. Just recently I was watching some news footage, or maybe it was on an aviation website, of the demonstrations down in Hong Kong. And now the protesters were using the lasers as a means of distracting the helicopter pilots so they weren't able to provide that air support. So that is, you know, an, an effective use of distracting the pilots enough where, where they can't do their job and they're going to turn away. So it, it, is, it can be incredibly dangerous to the crew, not just from a physiological standpoint, but if they were to 
be distracted and lose control of an aircraft at low altitude at whatever speed it, it could be potentially uh, mm. deadly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a couple of times, but I can't imagine that the courts will take this lightly and, and I'm sure these two individuals and people like them will, will um, sort of face the consequences. Actually, Armando, obviously you used to fly at night um, and I'm guessing you obviously wore night vision um, equipment for that. Is, is this an issue as well when you're wearing night vision goggles? Does the intensity, is it even more, you know, affect, you know, does it affect you even more? Yeah, very much so. So one thing with the night vision goggles is you can see the lasers much, much further away. I mean, you can see lasers tens of miles away mm. and when they're pointing at you, now, even the older generation night vision goggles have an auto dim feature. So essentially a shut off feature where the, the lens will close down on you. But that's, that's, you know, tuned to a certain type of laser, a certain type of wavelength. And uh, after a while, I think Rick Bell and I were talking about some of the laser eye protection that they're issuing the crews. And it's, it's super cumbersome and, and, you know, it's, you got to put it on, you got to either fly with it on or put it on by that time. It's probably too late. So there's, they're still working on a cost effective practical solution for air crude laser eye protection. Hmm. Sticking with you, Armando, then moving on to the next story. And, um, as uh, Nev's not here this week, we, I thought I'd uh, give you this uh, BA story for this incredibly long flight because we love we love talking about long flights. Yeah, <laughs> well, I just love seven forty sevens and any story about them. Uh, yeah, with with barely enough time for your ears to pop, a seven forty seven jumbo jet made possibly the shortest ever journey, spending less than nine minutes in the air. The Boeing seven forty seven, which belonged to British Airways, traveled from Cardiff Airport to Saint Saint Athan in Wales. Uh, barely coming over the Bristol Channel in the process. The total of this journey was a measly four miles, less than half the distance between Cheltenham and Gloucester in the car. The plane didn't actually contain any passengers, though it was sadly making its way over the Welsh capital in order to be scrapped yesterday. All part of British Airways' plan to retire the oldest aircraft in its fleet, the first of the airline's uh, uh, was the Gulf Charlie India Victor and then X registered Boeing 747s, uh, which first left the runway April 1995, of which there were 25 in total. The jumbo jet departed Heathrow for the last time on Saturday, November 17th, en route for BA Engineering in Cardiff. Um, yeah, so it kind of went down the southwest, southeast coast there and. Um, yeah, it goes on to talk a little bit about the history of the 747s in British Airways, but I'm glad they got to, you know, fly it. It's always, you know, we've heard Captain Jeff talk about the emotions of taking the Mad Dog out to San Bernardino and out to California mm. and all those desert airports. Um, it, it is it is an emotional thing because those airplanes have seen so many passengers come through and flown enough miles to circle the globe so many times and I think most of us that fly know that each airplane has a soul, you know, somewhere inside there. And you, you talk to, you talk to that airplane and it takes care of you and you take care of it. And it's always sad to drop an airplane off when you know it's going to get scrapped. Yeah. I'm so, I'm glad, so glad that last, um, last week me and Nev got the chance or when we flew back from Dubai 
to fly on one of the BA's 747s. Um, I mean, before then, before then, I'd only flown on the Virgin Atlantic 747, um, but it was nice to get that uh, chance just to have another flight on the 747 back from um, well, back from Dubai. And it is, you know, the the crew love that. We, me and Neb were chatting to the crew when we're on the way back, and the crew love the aircraft. You know, all the crew on there just just really, really do have a um, a big part. You know, a big part in their life with for the 747, and uh, yeah. Be a shame when they all start to uh, start to disappear, which they will eventually. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, you, I suppose there is the argument. Argument, you know, it is is his progress. I mean, there are uh, many iconic aircraft over the years that have all come out of service. That, like the TriStar, you know, the L ten eleven that that you love so much. I mean, it, you know, it was very much a, a big part of aviation's history, and it's now sort oh, of, yeah. you know. Uh, the seven four seven, I dare say, will. Uh, there does seem to be an extra special amount of love for the seven four seven, though, doesn't there? It's because it's pretty. Right. It looks it looks <laughs> nice, you know. Just okay. just look at it. It's lovely. Look. Right. Okay. Isn't uh, that isn't that beautiful? I, I, I mean, I, I have to say, I'm struggling to, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> they, they they are. I, I must admit, I have never been on 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 one, and I dare say. Uh, with the little amount of flying I do, I don't suppose I ever will be on one. I, I, I have to say, I have to say, we, I mean, those of you who follow the, the, us on, on Facebook will see the pictures, you'll know that me and Nev visited the flight deck on the 7-4. And I have to say, you know, when you when you look, you know, compared when we flew out to to Dubai on the A350-1000, and then we flew home in the 7-4, sitting on that flight deck of the 747, you can tell that aircraft is you know, from, from the, the mid nineties, because, you know, it's got that, that brown sort of caramel colored paint job on all the instruments. <laughs> there's scratches everywhere. There's bits of paint flat flaking off and that the flight deck looks really well loved. I think yeah. I should say. Yeah. Hey, Carlos, uh, bef- before we move on, I wanted yeah. to say hi to David Abbey in the chat room. Uh, David was, out in an aviation mecca site oh. this last week oh. where yeah he got a chance to go out to kill devil hills in the outer banks of north carolina which is where the wright brothers flew their first flight and he posted some great pictures he sent some some nice pictures over over to me and uh, that believe it or not i've never been there and it's in north carolina wow but you can you can walk the same steps as as the aircraft flew and he did he did say there was a fun fact uh, on december 17th 1903 the wright brothers completed four flights each of increasing distance and after the fourth flight the wind upended the unattended aircraft and damaged it so it didn't fly again wow. at least not for a long time so so we had first flight on, on that date and probably the invention of tie downs <laughs> all on the same day yeah, all on the same day <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah it, but, it's uh, um, yeah. Uh, actually david why don't why don't you send us because uh, with the yeah. wonders of modern technology why don't you send us those pictures if you're happy perhaps uh, for us to share them with everyone else uh, you can do that via whatsapp if you haven't got the number already it is plus four four seven five seven double two four nine one six six so that's plus four four seven five seven double two four nine one Double six. So moving on to the next story, and uh, this next story is a special one for Lisa and Lee, two of our listeners 
of the show because uh, this is one of their favorite airlines. This is on the uh, hmgaerospace.com website. And the headline, uh, well, it's an airline that we all know in the UK, Jet2. Dot com is named best short haul airline in British Travel Awards. So uh, the results of the British Travel Awards 2019 have been announced, highlighting Jet2 as the best short haul airline in Britain, uh, while EasyJet took home the silver award in the category. The awards marked the results of the largest ever poll of the public opinion on the best performing enterprises in leisure and travel and tourism, with the winners determined based on the number of consumer votes cast between the 1st of July and the 30th of, uh, 30th of September this year. In the best short-haul airline category, Jet2 took home the gold award, while EasyJet, as I said, took the silver award in the category, and British Airways, Nev, uh, were <laughs> awarded the uh, bronze awards. Oh, that's VA got an award. Yeah. Uh, in a statement uh, following the win, Jet2.com said that once again outperformed other short rail airlines when it comes to our customer service and experience and customer satisfaction, picking up a prestigious British travel award in the process. He added that we're pleasing that our VIP customer service has been recognized once again. The airline has previously won a number of awards, including Best Short Haul Airline in the Telegraph Travel Awards, uh, five awards at the 2009 TripAdvisor Travel Choice Awards, and has also been awarded uh, the coveted which recommended provider status for three years running. So it's safe to say they are doing rather well. And uh, I'm speaking to uh, uh, Lisa and Lee last night because they were out with me and Matt. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. They, are, they are big lovers of uh, the whole Jet 2 kind of yeah. Uh, experience. So, yeah, yeah, good on them. Yeah, I mean they 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 have done well, haven't they? This is this is the the long and the short of short of it, isn't it? They 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 weirdly, I mean they it's, it, potentially they could be another Ryanair. Do you know what I mean? It could be that same sort of mm. stigma and stuff that's attached to it. Uh, and certainly their pricing is as competitive as as with with someone like Ryanair. But interestingly, there doesn't seem to be that negative thing about you know like the way that the cabin crew are with you and that kind of thing so I, I, you know it'd be interesting to sort of see the the decisions behind if you like how how they've managed to go down that route and make it so successful in comparison to perhaps someone like Ryanair where you know their their reputation uh, whilst I personally feel quite often very unfair uh, it is nevertheless the reputation that they've got you know I mean but presumably there's there, there must be similar things in um, with uh, uh, like the regional carriers in in the US, Armando, again, it's you know you, you can have to you've got two airlines essentially they're offering the same product, they're doing this, the same thing, um, but for some reason one is regarded as as better than the other, even though they're literally almost the same airline just with a different name. Yeah, exactly. There's uh, all kinds of things that go into that. You know the the amount of redundancy in their infrastructure, the amount of their their baggage handling mm -hmm. uh, infrastructure, their third whether they're third party contracted out. Uh, ground service, you know, just like we were talking about, mm. you know, do they own their own and and then the general culture of the company also leads to that, you know, if if you have management that doesn't value their employees, then their employees aren't going to provide good service, which the flip side of that, you know, by by general consensus, most Southwest employees, for example, you know, that's sort of a low cost carrier. They're incredibly happy. The pilots are well paid. The flight attendants are well paid. They all enjoy their their jobs, making it an all around fun experience. But you know, you may get a smaller carrier that is just a sort of a 
you know, passenger mill or something like that. And, and the crews aren't happy and that leads to delays. And yeah, so absolutely. There's so many factors. I'm sure there's aviation business analysts that go into all this kind of stuff that, you know, makes the, um, determine those kinds of determinations. Mm. I think one of the big things with jet two is the fact that they, cause they do the package holiday thing. They um, have a very good load factor and they fill these things to capacity. I don't think there's very often you'll see a jet two aircraft um, such as a 757 uh, with, which is going out uh, empty. <laughs> but no, they, they, they do, they do that. They do the job well and they do fill their aircraft. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good on them. Yeah, definitely. So moving on to the next story, and Matt, it's a special celebration for a certain airline we all love to pronounce. Indeed. Uh, so apologies in advance for this. This is on the airlineratings.com website, and it is Qatar Airways celebrates 10 years <laughs> serving, <laughs> serving Australia. So Qatar Airways is celebrating 10 years serving Australia this month, and it's amazing to look back at where the airline has come from in such a short time. But f- going further back in time... Qatar Airways took a very conservative approach to its growth, starting with one Airbus A310 and one Boeing 767 and 75 staff on the uh, the 22nd of November 1993. Operations began on the 20th of January 1994, and the first services were in Amman in Jordan uh, in May of that year. By April 1995, the network included destinations such as Abu Dhabi, Bangkok, Cairo, Dubai, uh, Kuwait, uh, Madras, Manila, Muscat, um, uh, TP, Tokyo, and one place that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce for fear of offending many, many people. To start with, the airline used uh, leased aircraft for its considered expansion, but in 1998 it placed a firm order with Airbus for six Airbus A320s. However, with the basis of a solid airline proven in 2001, Qatar Airways uh, became Airbus's ninth customer for the A380 with an order for two and two more options. Uh, But that was just a taste of what was to come. At the 2003 Paris Air Show, Qatar Airways placed an order with Airbus valued at 5.1 billion US dollars for 18 aircraft aircraft, and in the same year it became the first airline to be audited under the new IATA operational safety audit IOSA program. In 2007 the airline stamped itself as a major global player with an order for 80 Airbus A350 uh, extra wide body aircraft and 65 Boeing 787s and 27 777s and these are the fleets uh, that have been uh, the bedrock of the airline's expansion over the last 10 years. With the best from Airbus and Boeing, the airline turned uh, to its in-flight product, and again, excellence is not negotiable. Qatar Airways has won countless prestigious Skytrack awards for its service and overall product with four airlines of the year and uh, the, the world's best business class six times. The flagship Q-Suite business class, which won the highly prized air rating airline ratings.com best business class for 2019 and 2020 is a standout product that sets the airline apart from all the others uh, i won't go on because it basically sounds like a big advert for qatar but you get the drift uh, i think it's safe to say that uh, they're progressing well with their plan <laughs> yeah I, I didn't realize it was i didn't realize it was 1993 i thought they'd been around a lot longer than, uh, than yeah. that but yeah yeah i know but that's longer than you think 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, we get. I mean, old, that's twenty. Old. You know, that's yeah. We, it's, you know, the trouble is, is, you and I think that the late eighties was not that long ago now. You know. <laughs> but I have to say though, Matt, I think you'd love the Q Suite with that mm. twenty-one and a half inch high def screen. Oh, lovely! Yes, that would be <laughs> awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I'd never want to get off. It's like screw the airport. You know, screw the hotel. I want to stay here. Yeah. <laughs> and when, especially with that, uh, their their in-flight entertainment system with four thousand options of right. uh, programming. That's yeah. fairly. Uh, that's well, fairly good. Th- this is true. This is true. Yeah. So moving on to uh, to the next story, then uh, Armando, and it's uh, another ding. Oh no. Yeah, that's right. A British Airways Airbus A350 was damaged while being painted. Oh. Uh, likely delaying its delivery to the airline. Uh, Flight Global reported that the plane sustained surface damage from some equipment in the paint shop. Uh, Airbus confirmed the incident to Flight Global, and British Airways said the manufacturers were working to deliver the aircraft shortly. Uh, BA has 18 A350s on order, and its route map for the aircraft is slowly expanding. After the first of the planes were delivered, the airline put them into short-haul service so crews could get more comfortable working the jet. The A350s are now on long-haul services for BA, already serving Dubai and Toronto from London, with plans to send them to Tel Aviv and Bangalore in the coming months to get, as more get delivered. Uh, Point Ga- Points Guy got a preview of the new airplanes before they entered service, um, and he's got some links to see if you want to see what you're, what you're going to expect when you fly one. But, uh, yeah, this, this uh, kind of damage... Just like we were talking about now, I, I kind of put this a little bit different category. When airplanes are undergoing maintenance, there are some great YouTube videos out there about airplanes getting painted or air, aircraft going through inspections and the amount of equipment that is required to maneuver around, uh, around them is incredible. You know, when you're standing on the ground next to an A350, it's pretty big. And you can imagine the, the cranes and the lifts and the scaffolding that has to go up around it when it's getting maintenance or painted. So uh, this one I'm going to chalk up to obviously an accident, but but probably not negligent, you know. It makes you wonder when these aircraft are delivered to the purchasers such as BA on this story. You know, when you go and purchase, say, a new car or, or something from a dealer, you kind of check the, to make sure that the car is in, you know, perfect condition. You know, when these aircraft are del- delivered, it'd be interesting interesting to see just how far airlines go to to check the aircraft all the way around yeah all the paint Mm. all the the other bits and pieces to make sure everything is absolutely spot on yeah and i think with very very few exceptions the quality control in any of the aviation service providers such as painters and maintenance and engineering services is incredibly high so it would be almost a you're, you're going to admit it first. You're going to tell the customer, hey, this just happened. And nowadays, they're able to see the progress of the build or the progress of the maintenance. So the maintenance controllers can see on their systems how everything is progressing. And we even have that for general aviation now where um, some of my friends that are building experimental aircraft out there, they document the entire process and the customer can see exactly what's going on with pictures and with milestones, with uh, timeline charts of how the build is progressing. So, um, yeah, I, yeah. So the next story um, is on simpleflying.com. 
And uh, we've obviously talked on the show before about uh, things falling from aircraft while they're in flight, such as frozen balls of blue, yes. blue stuff. <laughs> um, but this, uh, this headline, yeah. <laughs> uh, blue stuff, yeah, yeah, all green stuff, blue yeah. stuff. So this, uh, this story headline, large part drops off Airbus aircraft near Toulouse. So for any of the listeners who live in the Toulouse area, look in your garden for various aircraft parts. So a piece of an Airbus aircraft has fallen into a garden near Toulouse. Um, in Toulouse, which plays host to the Airbus's headquarters, and it's possible that the piece came from an aircraft being tested. Thankfully, instances of pieces of aircraft falling from the skies are fairly rare. However, they can have serious consequences. For example, what if it had fallen onto a house? Or even worse, what if it had injured a passerby? Very true. Uh, for this reason, when parts of aircraft do fall from the skies, especially above populated areas, uh, the incident will uh, tend to make the news. So, Specific details of the incident appear to be fairly scarce. However, Aerotime has pulled together a rough uh, guess of what happened of the incident. It appears, though the incident actually happened earlier in November this year, a composite panel measuring one metre long, thats and one metre, half a metre wide, that's not a small piece, uh, was found in a garden in the village of Doe near Toulouse. Uh, while the piece of aircraft was reportedly located on the 19th of November, it's unclear whether the, it fell uh, earlier than this date. The discovery of the part was reportedly only made by public uh, this week. Aerotime reports uh, that very few commercial flights pass over Doe, meaning that it was likely an air, uh, Airbus part. Uh, when approached for comment, Airbus spokesperson told uh, told the uh, reporters that in July, an a Airbus A220 operated by Swiss diverted to Paris following an engine failure. Parts of the engine were lost uh, of the incident. As a result, investigators plan to search suspected landing areas for the parts. Uh, for the part earlier this month, the, the part they were looking for was a piece of titanium around 70 centimeters in diameter, which may have broken into several pieces. However, while the part found in Doha was handed over to investigators, it is not always the case. Uh, in September 2017, uh, an Air France A380 suffered an uncontained engine failure. The incident occurred over green and with parts of the engine falling to the ground. Remember that? That was a brilliant video of those recovering that in parts from, uh, from the ice on YouTube, actually. But, um, yeah, I think when you're living in and around, uh, especially a, a place such as the, you know, where they test aircraft and, and that, you know, there is always that very small possibility that uh, bits and pieces might fall off aircraft. But uh, I have to say, I think if it was me, I'll probably keep it, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> right. it'll, be, it'll be hanging behind yeah, me on yeah. the wall. Right. I, I mean, they might want it back, Carlos. That's the only trouble. <laughs> I'm not going to tell anyone. Right. Oh, it's okay. not It's not serviceable at that point, so they might as well let them keep it. Well, okay. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> <point>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Anyway, on to the next story. This is on simpleflying.com, and uh, it's good news for Airbus. They're celebrating. Uh, Airbus celebrates as the 100th A220 is completed. So Airbus has a reason to celebrate today as it announces the production of its 100th A220 aircraft in a celebratory ceremony at the A220 headquarters in Mirabel Calendar. Ca calendar? 
Canada. Uh, the manufacturer announced that the A220-300 produced for Latvia-based Air Baltic was the 100th aircraft from the A220 line. That's come around really quick, actually, isn't it? Uh, mm. As a celebration held uh, at a celebration held at Airbus's A220 headquarters in Canada, representatives from both Airbus and Air Baltic celebrated the delivery of the 100th A220-300 and the significance of the date. It is exactly three years after the world's first A220-300 left Airbus to join Air Baltic on the 29th of November, good date that, uh, 2016. Such perfect timing. The celebratory aircraft features a new cabin design with 149 seats and modernised livery. It will join Air Baltic's current fleet of 20 A220-300 aircraft. The airline was the launch operator for the A220-300 three years ago and is Airbus's biggest European customer for the aircraft and therefore a fitting recipient of the 100th aircraft. Uh, so uh, the A220 family is assembled at Airbus's main final assembly line in Mirabel and more recently at a second assembly line in Alabama. Formerly known as the Bombardier C-Series, the A220, so I nearly did it, sorry, Bombardier, uh, <laughs> Bombardier. Uh, the A220 was launched in 2016 and is designed for the 100 to 150 seat aircraft known for fuel efficiency. It uses 20% less fuel than other aircraft and has reduced noise pollution and emissions i mean it's it's safe to say it's a very successful aircraft isn't it i mean you, you it's doing you, well you yeah. got because there, well, there was one at farnborough wasn't there mm, yeah yeah but it's safe this it, aircraft is doing really well for, yeah. for airbus I know, I know obviously the a3 a320 is obviously um or is obviously you know airbus is probably oh. airbus's best selling but this this i think is going to be you know up there with one of the best single aisle uh, yeah. aircraft. I mean, I, I'm right. That, that's, I mean, a hundred in three years. It seems like a re like a really good result, doesn't it? That's 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 quite a quick turnaround for for mm. a, a small jet, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. I and and what's even more so is I I believe at recent count there are up to five hundred and thirty orders for A two twenties from different operators. Wow, that's so good, that's isn't it? Yeah. Pretty big fleet of aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and from what from what I've heard from the reports online, apparently from the passenger's point of view, these the cabins and stuff on these aircraft are really, for the size of the aircraft, you know, it is a single aisle aircraft, but it is very comfortable and spacious on these yeah. aircraft. Yeah. Perhaps if any if anyone's listening who's um, had the chance, he's had the chance to go yeah. on, yeah, absolutely. We'd love, we'd yeah, send us some feedback. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'd love that. We'll do a Nev's passenger experience on one. That'd be fantastic. Definitely. So moving on to the next story. And, yeah, yeah. Airbus again. We're staying with Airbus, uh, Armando. Yeah. So Airbus has been working on unique ways to cut down aircraft emissions, and recently revealed a demonstration project based on methods used by birds to prefer to preserve energy. Uh, Airbus's plans involve a jet flying close behind another long, another jet on long overwater flights, with one jet trailing another. The rear flying aircraft would receive an up updraft of air in which the jet in front of it has generated, conserving energy and reducing fuel burn by up to 10%. The aircraft maker stated that by partnering with airline companies and air traffic controllers to identify the operational needs and suitable solutions, it could reduce carbon aircraft emissions by employing this flying formation technique, according to the recent release. 
the environmental impact of aircraft has become a pressing issue for European airlines and regulators with the European Union Aviation Safety Agency looking to implement a ranking system that would rate airlines and carriers based on their environmental performance. So Airbus's proposed flight system would specifically impact air traffic controllers who would have to endorse the fellow fly concept themselves before going into effect. Controllers already utilize more rudimentary practices to reduce fuel burn on transatlantic flights by allowing pilots to adjust their course in the event of a storm or strong headwinds, but Airbus's concept would theoretically work under any and all weather conditions. Airbus says it intends on testing the tandem flying technique by next year while it works on developing enhanced cockpit instrumentation that would allow the planes to fly close to each other without issue. That kind of technology will likely take years, though. Yeah, so um, this is interesting. I What um, two words? Two words, Armando. Wake turbulence. Uh, yeah, you know, are you are you writing? Is are we wakeboarding? Are we writing the 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 wake of another airplane the entire way? I don't know how comfortable that would be for the passengers. Generally, we try to avoid that kind of thing. But uh, hey, if Airbus is looking at this new technique, they're obviously thinking about some of those things already. And uh, maybe it'll turn out like like drafting in Formula One or NASCAR, and we're just going to have airplane races uh, in the sky. Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine a, a three twenty following in a three eighty? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I'm not sure that that would turn out well. <laughs> no, no, quite. Uh, uh, actually, going back to what we were talking about a moment ago, guys, we have had an A220 review, of course, because we had one from Chris Griggs who did us a lovely video. Oh yeah, remember. we did, didn't we? That was the two twenty, wasn't it? Yeah, no, that was actually. That's yeah, my fault. So apologies, Chris. Yes, that's our age, Chris. That's our age. <laughs> well, mine, mine and Matt's. No, but to be fair, mine and Matt's age. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I've got especially I, mine. Look, I'm not used to having a hangover. This is not. This is not good. This is not good. Matt was on the ciders last <laughs> he, night. He might have been. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> He's feeling a bit special. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can stop enjoying it at your expense. Thank you, Carlos. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, anyway, I stayed on beer. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the next story The next story is uh, on the Aviation Herald. Uh, obviously, we've got to have an Aviation Herald side but, um, story on the show. With that lovely uh, lovely story here from, uh, this is Air India, and this is an A321 uh, that had a fire that was seen from the engine. Now, there is a video of this as well, which Matt might be able to play in some pictures as well. Uh, but uh, Air India A321-200, registration Victor Tango, Papa Papa Tango, performing flight AI-670 uh, from Bumba, I should have given this one to Matt, Bumbaswa to Mumbai, India, with 180 people on board, was climbing through flight level 260 out of Bumba, when a passenger alerted cabin crew after seeing fire and sparks from the left-hand engine, a CFM-56. Uh, the flight attendants informed the flight deck. I don't know quite why they wouldn't already know. But anyway, after some checks, the pilots decided to shut the engine down and divert to Rapua, India, where the aircraft landed safely 40 minutes after departure. The aircraft was evacuated via slides, and there were no injuries reported. India's DGCA reported a passenger aboard the engine fire to cabin crew, who informed the flight deck crew. The fl uh, flight crew performed checks, shut the engine down, and diverted 
and uh, the, air, the airport uh, reported the aircraft returned suspecting a tailpipe fire on the number one engine. The crew did not receive any engine fire indications or other abnormal parameters, however, as a precaution, discharged the fire extinguisher into the engine after it was shut down. There had been, uh, obviously, the tailpipe fire. Now, on the 13th of November 2019, it became known that the engine is going to be replaced and India's AIB have opened an investigation. On the 29th of November 2019, um, India's AIB reported there were no injuries uh, but minor damage to the aircraft uh, when the left-hand engine suffered the in-flight fire. Uh, the aircraft, uh, obviously, as we said, was diverted and the occurrence was rated as a serious incident. Uh, and it's being investigated by India's AIB. Now, there's a picture there actually on uh, with associated with that video as well. And um, yeah, I think that it's safe to say that engine's having slight issues with um, with uh, some damage there by fire. So I mean, I mean, there was so they they went to great lengths to say it was a, a tailpipe fire. Is it is this uh, essentially unspent gases that have ignited due to uh, something going wrong engine wise, uh, Armando? Or I mean, what what could potentially cause a tailpipe fire? Yeah, it could be quite a few different things. I, I mean, it could be a fuel metering issue. It could be you know a component failure. It could be some kind of oil fire. It, it does look like. Uh, there, whatever, whatever it was, it, it it pretty much destroyed those those blades, which are yeah. made of you know some pretty high temperature steel. Uh, mm. They're not steel; they're some kind of composite or magnesium or titanium or something. But um, yeah, the now I, I will say everything while it looks bad, it uh, it stayed pretty intact even with uh, a lot of those blades missing. So I think there was. You know, it, we have engine failures, and we talk about uncontained engine failures. It looks like this one, you know, was very relatively, yeah. yeah, relatively contained for what what it was. And you know, whatever indications the crew got up in the flight deck, they they obviously discharged the the fire extinguisher into the engines, so mm. possibly you know reducing the amount of uh, damage that could have further happened. Mm. It's amazing when you look at those pictures, Armando, how much damage that um, that heat of the you know the actual heat is done to those compressor blades. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Consid stuff, isn't it? Considering what considering what they're made of, as Armando said, you know they are yeah. fairly well damaged. That's true. So moving on to the next story, Matt, and a bit of a bit of a, a tech kind of uh, story for you. Uh, right. Yes. Okay. So this is. Um, on Flight Global, is that correct? Yeah, and it's it is. The, yeah, it's the lovely uh, font. Cita, is it Cita? I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. Anyway, Cita. S I T A uh, Upbeat Airport Biometric Solutions will take off. So it promises to shave off about one third of travellers' time at the airport from check-in to boarding, and is uh, premised on one concept: that your face is your boarding pass. Uh, mm. That is what uh, Cita's newest technological concept smart path promises to passengers as it makes use of biometric technology to help save time for airports smart path hopes to help boost passengers throughput uh, without physically needing to increase infrastructure on the back of increased investment in technology by airlines and airports alike sitter uh, is bullish that solutions like smart path are the way forward even as uh, even as increasing concerns over data privacy loom 
large. Uh, Smart Path trials have been running at Boston and Miami airports for about a year, says Sitter, uh, President for Asia Pacific Sumesh Patel. Uh, he adds that among airlines operating at both airports, some have noticed reduced boarding times. Uh, Patel noticed that British Airways has come on record to say that they could board 200 passengers in 10 minutes at Boston. Uh, asked about concerns over data privacy being a potential stumbling block to such technology, uh, Patel disagrees. He cites CETA's uh, recent industry-wide survey, which indicates that more than 60% of passengers were willing to share their personal data to get better surface. service. Sorry, Patel says it mirrors an IATA study, which found a similar proportion of travellers with such sentiments. Uh, so, uh, says Patel, the travellers just need to know three things. What data is captured, how long you're going to keep that data for, and what are you going to do with that data. As long as such information is relayed to travellers, they are happy to give consent, he said. Uh, the, he also uh, gives the reassurances that Sitter is a technological is a technology solutions provider, does not own the data. Rather, it works uh, to match data provided by relevant parties such as airports and immigration departments. Uh, as Patel puts it, what we do is we validate uh, and we say go or no go. Uh, the, he stresses that this will not be a barrier for those wary of sharing their biometric data. Those passengers who are not willing to share their data can. Still use the old technology, but that means you have to give more time uh, staying in the queue and using the current technology, he tells Flight Global. Patel added that to facilitate greater collaboration between partners in the air travel industry in sharing data, CETA has invested in a blockchain sandbox. The blockchain technology, says Patel, will remain neutral as CETA is a non-affiliated organisation. Three parties, uh, Geneva Airport, London Heathrow Airport, as well as British Airways, are testing the system by sharing flight information through the blockchain. Uh, the next stage, says Patel, is to move towards biometrics. This means that a passenger can make use of Sitter's smart path as both as both departing and at, at both departing and arriving airports. Patel acknowledges that it will take a few years before the different stakeholders move to the next stage, but Sitter has in the interim looked closely at how best to implement such technologies. I mean, so if your if your face is, is your is your passport pass. boarding yep. pass right mm -hmm. in in the months leading up to when you fly if you grow a Captain Nick style beard then surely your boarding pass will change to your original picture because you've got a beard a full but face then of hair. I, I suppose in the unlikely event that the system is unable to recognise you then you would immediately default to the existing system already in mm. place so. Um, I mean, I can understand why people are concerned about, you know, data privacy. There are large companies, and I should stress, including BA, who don't have a fantastic reputation when it comes to, <laughs> to their IT facilities. Uh, so I can understand why it would cause concern. But uh, I think if you've got a third-party company that specializes in, in managing the data, so it's not necessarily being held directly by the airline and they're using biometric data to, as it says in the report, uh, Sitter is literally saying, no, go or no go. 
So as long as you've got to go, you can walk through the channels and stuff. But I, I mean, realistically, I think if we if we truly knew the extent to which our data was being collected, I think we would all be genuinely horrified. Because I, mm. I just, I mean, you just walk down a street in Norwich and you are captured by cameras all over the place. I mean, it, it is, it is um, it's not something that's ever going to go away. So I guess as as long as it's promised that the data is managed properly, I can see this being a really amazing way to travel through the airport and yeah, i will say on our return back to to london heathrow um my did my um e-passport worked first time did it good heavens and <laughs> nevs didn't oh right <laughs> okay awkward yeah i mean how do you how yeah. do you feel i mean obviously i mean uh armando for, from your perspective of course um i suppose you spent such a large portion of your your military life essentially being sort of I don't know, not not well hidden. I guess from, like you know, oh. it must sit with you quite. I mean, it must feel a bit odd for you. I guess this whole idea no. of or are you quite from, the opposite really? actually. Yeah, the government is terrible about using your personal identification data. Oh, okay. I mean, for <laughs> for years and years, for the majority of my career, my my quote unquote service number was my social security number here in right. the United States. Okay. So I'm still finding pieces of paper from 1997 that, that have my social security number printed all over them, including travel orders, things that you would just hand out to the public. Great. Um, so, so yeah, I, so, I, you can, you can put me solidly in the resignation category where I've just resigned to the fact that my data is so yeah. much out there. And like Carlos was saying, um, being an American living in the UK uh, and going through the non-EU passport line was terrible. That was three to four hours of my life that I would never get back. And <laughs> once I became part of the UK known traveler program, that I think is based off that facial recognition yeah. or at least a basic facial recognition program. I, I am a believer if I can, I don't even care about my face and my data yeah. Um, you know, I, and some people have concerns about, well, what are you doing with it? Well, I don't know if you got nothing to worry about. Not this is just my opinion, right? Yeah. Everybody has, and, and I'm an uninformed data guy, but yeah. if I am solidly in that category where if you're, if I'm able to board an airplane in 10 minutes and get through passport control in 10 minutes and yeah, I, my time yeah. is worth more than the you know inconvenience of something potentially happening so put me in sign me up yeah 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 absolutely. And, I, and i'm with you armando i'm completely with you it's just to say if if we actually knew the extent to which our personal data was already very much out there i think we'd all be very very horrified um so you mm. think well if this helps me get through the airport airport a bit quicker um and i don't have to worry about having boarding passes and stuff like that with me then as you say sign me up let, let, let's go nuts <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so the last story, Armando, is in your hands, and it's uh, a special top 20. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll read the intro to it, but nobody can do a top 20 like Matt, so. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not entirely sure how, but the 2020 list of world's best airlines is already out. Right. right. And okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll refrain from, yeah, refrain from telling you who the top airline is, but the much-awaited annual airline excellence awards are carried out by airlineratings.com 
which is an aviation safety and product rating site based out of Perth, Australia. To decide who wins, seven editors at the agency consider a dozen key factors, including operational safety, passenger reviews, profitability, investment rating, fleet age, and product offerings, such as premium economy on long-haul flights and seating options in other other classes. Um, Let's see, I'll skip some of these. In their analysis, uh, this top airline came out number one in their audit criteria, which is an outstanding performance considering it was up against carriers with more resources and scale on the same list for best airlines 2020. Um, this, um, no, I'm not going to read this. So no, okay, Matt, well, well, I'll tell you what, yeah. let's, let's, let's do the top 20 and then we can, we can discuss, shouldn't we? Shall we? So, so uh, here we go. And here comes the music. Or not. Brilliant. That went well, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Smooth as butter. Ah, absolutely. Yeah, it's all right. It's all in. The, I'll, I'll tidy it up in post. It's fine. Here we go. In 20. That is Etihad Airways. 19. It's Delta Airlines. Uh, 18, please. That's Alaska Airlines. At uh, number 17, bit of a surprise. It's Nev Airways, right. British Airways. <laughs> okay. 16. Goes out to Hawaiian Airlines. Wow, 15. It's Korean Airlines. And uh, number 14. KLM. 13. Japan Airlines. Very good. And 12. That is Finnair. <laughs> number 11, please. It's Lufthansa. We had an email from them this week, actually, which we must follow we did, up, yeah. actually. Uh, in 10. Going from east to west, uh, Virgin Australia. In 9. The airline we all love to pronounce, it's Qatar, Qatar, Qatar. Whatever Air. it is. <laughs> Absolutely. In 8. <laughs> that is Eva Air. In 7. Good old Virgin Atlantic. In 6. Emirates Airways. In five. Cathay Pacific. <laughs> In four. That's Qantas. Uh, and it's number three. ANA, all Nippon Airways. Oh, I love the liveries. They, they, they do such a good job with those, don't they? they? They love to make them look good, don't they, the ANAs? Uh, yeah. Anyway, in two. That's Singapore Airlines. And Bully Special Prize. Especially for the listeners who are currently awake and watching the show, it's Air New Zealand. Absolutely. How fantastic is that? Air New Zealand, that's a bit of a surprise. Or is it not? I don't know. It's quite a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, Singapore, is, Singapore yeah. generally tend to dominate these, um, these kind of top 20s, don't they? Well, that is true. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, absolutely. But the good, the good, obviously the good news is that BA is in the top 20. Yeah, which, which, is, which is a bit of a surprise. I've got to be, got to be honest. I'm delighted that they've, they've actually scored quite highly. But there's a number 17, weren't they? Something like that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But, I mean, there's so many of these, they don't actually appear at all where you sort of feel like they, you know, it seems a bit harsh. But, uh, yeah, a bit of a result, I have to be honest. Yeah, it's good. It's 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 a it's a it's a it's. Uh, I don't know. Perhaps it's sort of like a retrospective of the twenty twenty list of is de- is depending on is dependent perhaps on what happened last year. Therefore, that's why they appear in the twenty twenty list of world's best airlines. But they always know. do this. Yeah, they always bring out these confused by these things. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, we'll have, we'll have the twenty twenty one list in January. 
in next year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Okay. Great. So, so yeah, moving on. on, moving on then with the show up uh, coming up next, we have got the second installment from the Dubai Air Show uh, that me and Nev went to a few weeks back. And uh, in this particular interview, uh, Nev is speaking to Jim Spike from Pratt and Whitney, all about the geared turbofan engines and some of the innovations that uh, they are making with their engines. Well, I'm on the Pratt and Whitney booth today here at the Dubai Air Show, and I've got with me uh, Jim Spike from uh, PNW. Hi, Jim. How are you? Today? Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, very good. Very busy show again, isn't it? Yeah, as always. always is. Always yeah. busy here. Yeah. So, obviously, the name is synonymous with uh, incredible engineering uh, of engines over many, many decades. Yeah, yeah. What's the latest technology uh, that PNW are offering? Yeah, there's really a couple technologies we're offering now. One is the gear turbofan, which is on the commercial engines. And this is, this, uh, this this is the actual gear of the engine here. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, this has been in development for over 20 years. I started at Pratt about 40 years ago, 46 years ago to be exact. And uh, we had simulated geared turbofans over the years using computers. We knew it was the right engine cycle, meaning bypass ratio, overall pressure ratio, and diameter and fan pressure ratio. but back then, everything was so heavy. Once you grew an engine in diameter, you had steel cases, and metal fan blades, and you're piling on a bunch of weight that the aircraft did not want, even though it was a good fuel economy. So now today, with the advent of the gear, this gear started at about 600 pounds. It's down to about 250 pounds. Wow. And then we use composites in our engines, composite fan cases, composite structural exit guide vanes help drive down the weight even further. So the gear kind of came into its own, a lot of development behind the scenes, and uh, thanks or no thanks to high fuel prices, the, uh, the economy of the engine being 16% less fuel burn than even a V2500, wow. really kind of bought its way in quite quickly. Yeah. The thing I've always thought about this engine as well is how quiet it is Isn't in it? service. From a passenger point of view, it's absolutely yeah. incredible. Was yeah. that one of the important things as well? Well, I mean, that's becoming more and more important, right? So we knew that it would burn less fuel, which is economically good as fuel prices were going up. Yeah. But then, because of the higher bypass ratio and the low fan speeds, uh, we were able to address the noise issues. And we're about 15 dBs less than a current engine. Mm -hmm. Our noise footprint is about 75% smaller than a conventional engine. So really quite good for noise and the neighbors don't mind it so much. Yeah. I mean, flying out of LaGuardia, and if you look at the density around that area out of New York, about a half a million people less would hear this airplane mm. if it were a geared turbofan. And the Guardia, of course, is quite uh, limited in terms of runway length and, and that kind of yeah. thing as well, isn't it? Sure. So that's, uh, that's very important. Works out very well. And how long does it take, do you think, to get this thing off of the drawing board into manufacturing and finally onto airframes? Well, like I said, you know, we've been studying it for 40 years, yeah. on and off. Um, the gear itself took about 20 years to develop and a couple billion dollars, you have to patent it and do everything else that's necessary to protect your rights. And, um, you know, it takes a long time. Yeah, sure. So I know that our friends in uh, Great Britain, their Rolls Royce are developing one, so 
they're going to have a development time on their hands like yeah. any anybody else would. I think the thing is with aviation that there's always this huge lead time, isn't there, on, yes, on yeah. anything for yeah. certification or whatever yeah. it is. And of course, the commercial guys will want it tomorrow, but that's just never going to happen, is it? Cool. And you're going through different cycles of fuel, uh, cost, and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's always trades, right? Yeah. You can have a good efficiency engine, but maybe it's weighs too much, or maybe it's not good in sustainability, or maybe it's hard to manufacture or too costly to manufacture, mm. right? So there's always a trade. Yeah. Nothing's free, right? Now, we've heard you know, a lot in the press from all sorts of places about electric propulsion. Yeah. Is that something that Pratt and Whitney are working on? Yeah, well? our advanced performance group, our advanced engine group, has been looking at hybrid electric engines. You know, start at the, you know, depending on the size of the vehicle, you know, if you have the urban one, mm. that's pretty much going to be batteries and props. As you grow further in sizes of aircraft, it's going to be more of a hybrid, meaning a gas generator, either driving generators or something like that. So as you move along in size of aircraft, it's going to be dependent on the engine configuration. Yeah. If we fast forward another 40 years, and I'm asking you to look into the crystal ball now, uh, Jim, are we going to see uh, far fewer pure uh, jet high, bar, high bypass engines in favor of hybrid or electric propulsion, do you think? Well, you know, we're studying it very hard, and I know probably everybody else is. Uh, it's really no secrets for anybody. That's, that's kind of where we're looking in the future. Yeah. Is it 40 years away? Maybe. I, don't, I think it may be a little further than that, because that's a big leap, right? I mean, this was a big step in uh, a very disruptive technology, if you will, yeah. uh, which really works out very well. So I think the next one, the hybrid electrics and all that, will be another jump yeah. in uh, technology. What I find incredible about the engineering and the technology required from you guys, for example, is that you're selling this product to airlines all around the world yeah. with huge ranges of uh, temperatures and, and climates and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. How is it possible to keep uh, the engine in good condition for the very cold situation yeah. or when you're in the middle of the Nevada desert? Well, we test for everything, and we design for everything. So once again, when you're designing the engine, you're going to be designing it to take the pollution and sand and whatever else you find, plus it's going to be able to operate in a cold environment. So we, it's just really how you plan it, and you have to test it to verify what your technology would say you can do. Yeah, and it's all about certification, isn't it, of course? You know, yeah, so. it ends up to be certification, yeah. but it ends up to be durability too, yeah. right? You yeah. can certify an engine, but it doesn't have to be durable. Sure. I mean, ultimately, you mm. could if you wanted to, but that's not what the customer would want. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to give the customer everything, right? Of course, a certified engine, something that's durable, economical, and now sustainable. Mm. That's becoming a bigger, bigger part of the equation. Yeah. So on this engine, because it saves 16% fuel, you get tremendous amounts of carbon decrease, right? Just from the fact that you're burning less fuel. The burners on these engines burn about 50% less NOx. So much cleaner there. And then from a noise standpoint, which we still look at sustainability, uh, you know, like I said, about 15 decibels less than anything yeah. else. So. Significant, isn't it? Really it's big. is. It's big. So yeah. it's, a, it's been a big jump right now. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Jim, absolutely fascinating to talk to you today. Thank you yeah. very much indeed. My pleasure, Brian. Great interview, well done, guys. That's uh, I'm, I'm I'm loving this this series here. I, I, I'm so thrilled with how much uh, how much you brought back from Dubai as well. I literally cannot wait. 
to hear them. Yeah, list. that that was um, that was really good. You, it's, it's hard to uh, to to emphasise how different that was in that exhibition hall. The minute you walked through the exhibition hall, right to the back of yeah. uh, of the stand, and outside the doors, the temperature was just like went from a kind of a nice kind of twenty degrees mm. all the way up to thirty degrees wow. in, one, yeah. in one here. Yeah. You know, that that was a really good question that Nev asked about fast forward 40 years from now, because mm. if you if you take the flip side of that and you go back to 1979, think about aviation in 1979 and how fuel was abundant and we could just, you know, we were we were still learning the jet age and commercial jet aviation. We were in, in its infancy and how far we've come to, you know, these engines that you guys have featured on the show. Yeah. I, I'm. It's interesting to hear that both Rolls Royce and Pratt and Whitney, you know, I'm sure GE and all the other engine manufacturers are thinking all about the same, the, the exact same things: efficiency yeah. and and uh, durability. So, I, I can only hope that we're all around 40 years from now to look back on this episode and see. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> see see where things have moved on to. Wow! Oh, can you imagine yeah. if we're still doing this in forty years' time? Oh, oh my goodness oh. me! Wow! <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> my my! Yes. Uh, anyway, on that bombshell, I think maybe we should move on to the military. Uh, <laughs> yes, we're gonna uh, we're gonna hand things over to Armando. So, Armando, over to you. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done some uh, some uh, good military news, and uh, if you guys are ready, let's go ahead and knock some out. Let's do it. All right. So this first story is one that is near and dear to me. It's something that I followed with interest, and it is a program that I truly, truly believe in. Uh, I worked quite a bit in non-standard aviation. So after years of uncertainty, the Air Force has finally decided to add two new light attack aircraft to its inventory. The service said a few weeks ago that it released final requests for a proposal for Textron Aviation's AT-6 Wolverine and the Sierra Nevada Corporation, or SNC, uh, A-29 Super Tucano. Uh, according to the announcement, the Air Force, Air Force plans on purchasing two to three AT-6s and AT- A-29s uh, for Air Combat Command at Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada and Air Force Special Operations Command at Hurlburt Field in Florida. The final contracts for the aircraft should arrive by early 2020. Over the last two years, I've watched as Air Force, as the Air Force experimented with light attack aircraft to discover alternate cost-effective options to deliver air power and build partner capacity around the globe, the Secretary, Air, Secretary of the Air Force, Barbara Barrett, said in the statement, and she looks forward to this next phase. The Air Force has explored acquiring new light attack aircraft along with the Navy and the Marine Corps since 2017 through its experimental OAX, or Observant, observation attack concept, a program designed to identify light attack aircraft for non-traditional intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance functions, and potentially close air support for ground forces. Both aircraft do pack a wallop. The A-29 comes equipped with two internal 50 caliber machine guns and space for additional underwing armaments like 20 millimeter gun pods, Mark 81 
and Mark 82 bombs, according to Embraer. By comparison, Textron boasts the Wolverine is the first fixed-wing aircraft to employ 2.75-inch laser-guided rockets successfully and uses an adaptable system to carry a whole host of ordnance. Um, the article goes on a little bit and describes some of the capabilities of the airplanes, but um, like I said, this is something that I that I truly believe in finding a uh, an aircraft that is durable, easy to maintain, easy to operate out of austere environments, that is a, a true multi-role airplane that can be exported without significant um, concern of, of uh, you know, national security or anything like that. But it's something that uh, the U.S. Air Force, along with its partners, can easily train other countries in and aviation, uh, we call it aviation foreign internal defense or aviation mentoring partner capacity is a big mission for the U.S. Air Force and the U.K., um, the Royal Air Force, and having an airplane like this, I think, is uh, is crucial to the to that role. An airplane that is easily maintained um, and easily flown. It, do, it does look really old school when you look at this. Look at the um, this this A you know, the A twenty nine, the A T six and stuff. But it does, as well as looking quite old school, up it does look very robust as well. It looks like it could, um, you know, you could um, you could ding this and, and still carry on flying. Yeah, the concept of this goes back to World War II. I mean, you basically we had Cessnas, Cessna Bird Dogs, L41s, L14s, mm-hmm. um, all operating in forward air control roles or observation roles, and they were certainly armed with uh, rockets and machine guns. And the, one of my favorite movies of all time, Bat to One, is it, you know features a, a Cessna 337 which is just a, a twin-engine push-pull um, general aviation aircraft that they armed and put some radios in and, and is incredibly maneuverable. So that the concept of having a general aviation-style aircraft uh, doing some of these roles is not new. What is new is probably the manufacturing techniques where you've mm-hmm. taken you know, an A-29 or an AT-6 and their composite aircraft are incredibly durable. They're incredibly rugged. Um, with the Pratt & Whitney PT-6, which is an engine that is in so, so many uh, turbine aircraft or, or turboprop aircraft. And then you add those sensors on there, the the camera sensors and all the different um, electronic sensor packages that you can put on it. And you have a, a great, great capability in just a, a small, easily maintained aircraft. It's amazing. I, I mean, so, I'm I'm sitting here listening. Uh, sorry, I, this is this is the trouble with me. You see, because I'm the first to admit I don't understand uh, half of what 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 is being said here. Especially, and I mean this. In the, I mean this in the loveliest way. Especially when Armando is talking, because this man knows knows his onions. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but it, it what's so lovely, Armando, is you speak with such passion about this particular subject. It to somebody who to which it means nothing to. Um, it becomes interesting, and they, you're a legend, man. I can't believe you're up at this time of the morning for a start. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, mostly I'm just hoping that somebody from either Textron or SNC or or Embraer will <laughs> listen to the show and say, you know what, let's do a feature and let's get our right, right. yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, <absolutely>. definitely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Carlos, you've got the next story, I think. Yeah, this this is I, I love this because I mean, we all love. Uh, a glass of wine and especially red do wine. you um, 
<laughs> well, me and Nev were partial to a few glasses on the way back the other week. Anyway, you and your uh, wife this, were last night. I should stress. We, well, we were. Yeah. Um, yeah. This 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 story is is great for anyone who loves military aircraft and also loves wine because this is on the popmanmechanics.com, <laughs> This where this uh, particular story. The headline: the world's largest private collection fighter jets in France's wine country. So if you wanted an excuse to go to France, here it is. So a French winemaker holds the title for the largest private collection of fighter jets in the world. Michael Pont, a vineyard who lives in the Burgundy region of France, grows grapes for wine and collects fighter jets at the same time. Pont's do. collection includes <laughs> aircraft from the dawn of the jet age, such as the Royal Air Force's Meteor Fighter, all the way up to the F-16 Fighting Falcon. Pont, a former race car driver, brought 12 hectares, or 29 acres, in the heart of France wine country, and the property includes a castle built in 1340. The surrounding land originally wasn't worth much, but after clearing it, Pont set aside four hectares for wine cultivation and two to three hectares for aircraft. Sounds like he had his priority straight from the beginning. Pont has 110 aircraft, mostly fighters, but including a handful of military helicopters. His collection is diverse. Chronologically, it starts with the Gloucester Meteor, the UK's first fighter jet, and the only Allied fighter jet to serve in combat during World War II. Next might be an F-86 Sabre in Luftwaffe markings, which served West Germany in the 1950s. There's a whole bunch of fighters from the 60s and 70s, including Lockheed's F-104 Starfighter, and the English Electric Lightning F-100 Super Sabre and Mirage III Fighters. The collection has some peculiar finds as well. A Republic F-105 Thunder Chief, one of the largest fighters ever to serve with the U.S. Air Force, and workhorse of the Vietnam War, is sitting in the collection. It's not clear how a Frenchman got hold of uh, one of the rarer fighters in the museum <laughs> collections. And there are several fighters from the former Soviet Union as well, including Sukhoi Su-7 fitter, uh, the ground attack aircraft. To, to, yes, be, to be fair, mate, uh, you'll be amazed at the power of wine. You'll be amazed what you can pull off if you've got, you know. It's just like... I know, I'm thirsty now. Well, and right. also the Mikoyan Gurevich M uh, MiG-21 fishbed fighters. Uh, these were all purchased from former Warsaw Pact countries like Poland, Hungary, and one identified aircraft was purchased from Djibouti. Djibouti, there we go. Uh, the most modern and difficult to procure fighter in Pont's inventory is an F-16A fighting Falcon fighter. Uh, according to Pont, he was friends with a Belgian Air Force general and expressed an interest in acquiring the Belgian F-16. Unfortunately, the US typically gets final say on how American-made equipment is disposed of, even by its closest allies, and for a long time the answer from the Belgian Air Force was a sympathetic no. Pont eventually got his fighter jet. Pont's collection has received the stamp of approval by the Guinness Book of World Records. Unfortunately, it's getting harder than ever to amass a collection of military equipment like this. Older aircraft, particularly those operated by foreign countries, are easier but more modern. US Air Force and Navy aircraft are difficult, if not impossible, for private collectors to buy. Although the FA-18C Hornet no longer flies, active duty concerns about technology transfers and parts making 
their way onto the international black market mean it's hard to imagine private collectors getting their hands on one. Ponce Castle at Saint-Lesbien. I beg your pardon. Uh, French is not my strong point. <laughs> along with his fighter jet collection, is open every day from 9 a.m. till 12 p.m. and from 2 p.m until 5.30 p.m. Now, Matt will put the link to this story, yep. obviously, as always, in the show notes for those of you who want to read the correct pronunciation right. and find out where this uh, is. But honestly, Armando, this is um, this is like a day out. Oh, yeah. This this gentleman is, is he in addition to all these fighter jets and helicopters, he's got an uh, entire collection of Ferraris and motorcycles oh, inside. The, goodness me! When are we inside going? Inside the castle. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> I know. I wish I would have known this when I was, you know, riding my motorcycle through France. Yeah. Uh, here a couple of years ago. He I mean, uh, j all jokes aside, though, where he's saying it's difficult to get like these these certain aircraft. Surely he would be very easily able to set himself up as a museum. Uh, surely that oh, would make certainly, it. Yeah. Surely that would make it easier for him to then, because essentially to say that you know, if you are clearly preserving these aircraft with a view to, you know, and you are sharing them with the general public, you are therefore a museum and not a private collector. Whether some of the governments with their older aircraft would then be more willing to share, perhaps, especially if he's still willing to open the checkbook, you know. Yeah, I think that's the key, right? Is uh, yeah. money and and wine, like you guys are yeah, saying, probably wine. are. Yeah, you'll be amazed what you can get away with. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, wine is responsible for a lot of things. So, I'm look, so looking on things. looking on the website, actually, there's no, um, there's actually it just gives you the museum opening times. It doesn't actually give a price, so either this is free to go around, or yeah. Or it's or it's a thousand dollars, one or other. Well, to be fair, even if you just show up and it's closed, you could just say, "All right, well, let's peek through the fence and go drink some wine." Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> indeed. Anyway, on to the next story. This is on Flight Global, and the headline is: Private aerial refueler Omega buys KDC-10 tankers with Boom. So Omega Air took delivery of the first of two McDonnell Douglas KDC-10s uh, tankers in Santa San Antonio, Texas, that it uh, brought from the Royal Netherlands Air Force uh, on the 4th of November. The KDC-10 is the first aircraft that Omega owns uh, with a refueling boom, the company says, on the 22nd of November. So Omega says the aircraft, the T-264, will be registered as November. November 264 Delta Echo. Uh, the aircraft is based on a three-engined uh, DC-10 airliner. It uh, was modified into a boom-equipped aerial refueling tanker before beginning service uh, with the RNLAF fleet uh, back in 1995. Amiga says that it is already credited to uh, it's already certified sorry to refuel a long list of receptacle aircraft. Um, there, that those include the Fairchild Republic Alpha, uh, A10, uh, the Rockwell B1B, uh, Boeing's uh, B52H, uh, Boeing's C17, uh, Boeing's E uh, E3, uh, Northrop Grumman's E8C, uh, Boeing's F-15 C, D and E, uh, Lockheed Martin's F-16A uh, through D, uh, F-16F, 
the F-16, uh, I think that's, is that an I or an L? I'm not quite sure. It's difficult to tell. That's an I, yeah. Yeah, okay. I. So I can see Armando rolling his eyes already. Uh, Lockheed Martin's F-35A, <laughs> McDonnell Douglas KC-10. Uh, so it's the Boeing KC, a lot of aircraft basically are, are, a lot are, of aircraft, are, yeah. are able to, to, to take advantage of this particular method of delivery. Uh, the delivery of the first case KDC-10 is part of a two-aircraft deal with the RNLAF that was closed this fall. Omega did not disclose when it would receive the second tanker or the value of the sale. Uh, the addition of these KDC-10 tankers, along with their boom capability, will give Omega the uh, capability to potentially refuel every operative type of aircraft in the US military infantry. That's huge actually, isn't it? That's a really that's 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 the headline there really for for me. Uh in in addition to the new aircraft Omega has two Boeing KC707s and one McDonnell Douglas KDC10 in its inventory. However, those aircraft only have hose and drogue refueling equipment. Uh, the company needs a tanker with a refueling boom to refuel the US Air Force's aircraft. So that's it's uh, a great story actually, isn't it? There's um, uh, is there much to the uh, so who just, forgive my naivety here who are uh, Amiga Air and, and what's their involvement because it's sort of is it is it like a private arm to the US Air Force is, is that essentially what it is oh I don't think they're affiliated with the US Air Force that's right. the interesting part about this whole story is this is the first that I have personally heard of contracted aerial ah, refueling yes um, so the uh, transportation, the U.S. Transportation Command said last year that it had 20 to 30,000 hours annually that were unfulfilled, basically, because of lack of aircraft or crews. So they were, they were talking about the idea of contracting out aerial refueling, which is interesting. It's not a combat role. It is a combat support role. Yeah. And there are many, many other things already contracted out, but I had not heard of contract aerial refueling. And this is kind of poses an interesting questions because, uh, you know, now you're doing services for hire where, well, who am I going to refuel, right? If I'm Omega Air, am I going to refuel the U.S. Air Force and their need and their needs or do I go with the Venezuelan Air Force, who also has F-16s, and their needs and their potentially adversaries? So it just kind of poses an interesting ethical question. I mean, we've had we have a lot of contract uh, transport, so cargo. We have a lot of contract uh, surveillance flying. There's just so much need for it that there's companies out there doing it. But it is interesting to how much do you contract out to a private company? Yeah. I mean, you know, perhaps as a, a, I mean, perhaps this this air-to-air refueling essentially that that Omega might be doing could potentially be um, what I call um, uh, like where, where perhaps it's reconnaissance missions that, that you know where, where they're not actually in active service. Like you know, perhaps they're they're on reconnaissance or they're uh, it's um, uh, you know not a rescue mission, but you know what I mean. Where where perhaps its aid is being dropped. Perhaps you know when it comes to actual military action you know they'll use the the services that they've already got because i mean you can't expect these essentially private pilots if you like to, to to fly into a war zone although i dare say people are doing that all the time if they're high enough up and and, and such like yeah i met a pilot um just recently that used to 
fly for World Airways, and they used to fly DC-10s. And okay. in in the first days of the the Gulf War, they were flying into essentially a combat area with plane loads of 200 uh, servicemen and women. Wow! And so, and the Civil Reserve Air, aircraft fleet that uh, Captain Jeff was talking to us about a couple of weeks ago. You know, you you could potentially fly a Delta airliner or a uh, evergreen cargo aircraft full of military equipment into a combat zone. Um, DHL, there was a famous uh, DHL uh, almost shoot down where where a, 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 an aircraft took a missile. I think it was in Iraq. Yeah, um, it was, yeah. That was an A3. It was an A300, I think. A300, yeah. Um, now the now here's the the flip side of my, of my own argument is it is incredibly expensive to maintain and operate a fleet of aircraft for years and years and years. Mm. So when you, it is advantageous to the taxpayer when you can just contract services out on a temporary basis or for a surge of operations, mm. and then you end the contract, and that's actually. You know, think about all the crews that you don't have yeah. to maintain or to care and feed for, the aircraft you don't have to maintain. There's so many things that you just sort of hire on a turnkey operation. Yeah. And then when that period of work is done, then you just kind of cut them loose until the next time. Well, and, and, and so. presumably, obviously, uh, again, the, the, the crews uh, and, and personnel that are involved in this operation at the moment, uh, I mean, presumably some of those could now be redeployed into the areas perhaps where they are short on numbers uh, and retrained to do other things that, that are, you know, causing an issue at the moment. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, that actually brings up a, a great point is the, the continued pilot shortage. So now mm -hmm. you're able to re-divert, uh, re-divert, to divert, uh, pilot training towards those more critical roles yeah. knowing that there are companies out there that could fulfill some some of those roles like like uh, transport like, and yeah and air and air to air refueling it's it's i mean it's yeah. Uh, you yeah I, I i suppose it again it opens the 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 slightly old question you know is it the, is it I mean, we've got a similar thing here going on about you know talking about you know privatizing certain elements of the nhs and is that you know is is this does it again it opens another ethical question is this essentially the start of semi privatizing the the you know elements of the air force if you if you like if one you know the air to air fueling is being done by a private company i mean it's it's an interesting and slightly dangerous subject matter i'll be honest yeah <laughs> Actually, it's worth no it's worth noting as well that um the royal netherlands air force have got uh, one of these kc uh, kdc 10 tankers mm. i went on board a few years back at ria mm. And uh, they've got one left, and that's actually been replaced next year by the uh, MRTT, the A330 Motley Roll Tanker Transport. So yeah, there'll be uh, there'll be there'll be a, a a spare secondhand KDC-10 refueling tanker from uh, the Royal Netherlands Air Force for sale next year, possibly. Right. Okay. It could well end up in Bologna then, Buzz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the last military story, Armando, I think we should put this in, uh, definitely put this one in because um, this is obviously regarding a, a certain type of uh, aircraft that you know and love. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about love, but I know okay. it well. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so let's see, the United States Marine Corps, the Navy and the Air Force have signed a $1.2 billion contract with Rolls-Royce for engine maintenance 
of the Bell Boeing V-22 fleets. The five-year contract comes under Rolls-Royce Mission Care Services and we're, we'll cover the AE-1107C engines that power the tilt rotor fleet. Uh, the deal will cover all aspects of propulsion system support, says Rolls-Royce, on a per-flying-hour basis. Uh, Sirium fleet's data in- indicates that there are 342 V-22s in operations with three entities, uh, 50 CV-22s with an average age of seven years old, and 292 MV-22s, those are the Marine Corps version, with an average age of 7.9 years old. Uh, Rolls-Royce assembles the AE-1107C engines in its Indianapolis facility, which is nearing completion of a $600 million modernization effort. Uh, The U.S. Marine Corps, Navy, and Air Force are the primary operators of the V-22. The Japan Ground Self-Defense Force has 17 V-22s on order. So, yeah, V-22 continues to be just uh, in a class of its own and uh, it has very unique <laughs> maintenance. Yeah, uh, you see a, sort of a theme going on in my, in my military stories where it's all about the taxpayer money and mm. um, yeah, it's incredibly expensive to maintain some of these aircraft. So yeah. uh, good thing that Rolls Royce is doing this. Yeah, it's it's a it's yeah. <laughs> the numbers would make your eyes water, wouldn't they? That's that's the long and the short of it. If you, it's uh, but then you, you know from when they're putting um, putting certain aircraft in, you know, like uh, if you go to to hire one, for example, you want you know you want to do a private jet, and you think how much do you want, and you think because you break it down yeah. into into like. <laughs> You know, you've got your crews and you've got the fuel and you've got the insurance and all these bits and pieces. It, it's, it's, oh, I don't know, who'd do it? If, if we could all just be nice to each other, we wouldn't need any of it. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think I mentioned that a couple, maybe a couple months ago, but I was out at one of my local airports and I saw two young ladies fly in in a Challenger 600 and they flew in from somewhere in the Northeast United States down to North Carolina at the cost of something like $9,000 an hour to operate or charter. And they picked up a dog and then they went back to Maine or wherever they were from. Oh, wow. Literally f- flew this flew this airplane for an hour and changed to come pick up a dog and, and then flew back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah to have that money yeah oh well I have to keep playing the lottery so uh, that brings uh, the uh, money spinning military segment to a close this week <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for bringing that this week Armando some great stories there as always so uh, well we're going to start Ooh, actually hang on now. sorry just, oh, just, oh. Just, just going back to obviously where we all want because we now all want to fly to Bologna obviously and go and have a look at this um, oh yeah, yeah this thing absolutely uh, the, uh, the, the man on the ground if, if, if you will um, has been doing some research flights uh, are 9.99 each way from Stansted for an airport that's only an hour away from the wine and fighter jet land uh, downside there's only one flight a week each way so you'd have to just go and spend ah. a week in you know wine country i mean would you be able to handle it for a whole week carlos you know i know one way that you would be able to handle it mr snat smith right okay go on as if as if that week came with wine uh-huh. 
cheese oh, and geez. biscuits. Yeah, cheese and biscuits. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I might go and have a look at the fighter jets. You know, I'll perhaps come and join you on one of your reconnaissances. <laughs> but, uh, you know. Anyway, sorry, carry on wrapping up. <laughs> so, yes, we are going to wrap, <laughs> wrap up sorry. episode 296 of the show. Don't forget, if anyone is uh, is in the Heathrow Terminal 5 uh, vicinity this evening, I shall be there with Gemma waiting to board a lovely BA flight to Oman. We're get hopping on a Dash 9 Dreamliner this evening. So looking forward to uh, to our flights the, uh, this evening with BA. And uh, never extremely proud, as, as always. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, we shall be there this evening and uh, enjoying the delights of T5. Lovely. So, uh, there we are. But uh, for those of you guys who want to contact the show, you can contact us via email podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Or if you want to contact us individually, you can contact us, uh, say, for instance, contact Matt at plaintalkinguk.com or Armando at plaintalkinguk.com and you know the rest. And Matt, where can people send their pictures and audio and video feedback to on WhatsApp, if they want. Indeed, yes, absolutely. So uh, the number for WhatsApp is uh, plus four four. If you're outside of the UK, otherwise it's just zero. Uh, but we'll say plus four four seven five seven. My favourite aircraft. Double two <laughs> four nine one sixty six. There we are. So that's plus four four seven five seven double two four nine one sixty six. Thank you for that, Armando. What's uh, on the cards for uh, you this week? Not a whole lot, Carlos. I actually have sort of just some more time off and uh, getting ready to go up to training for the new job here on the uh, December 10th. So the next uh, few sort of 10 days or so, I'll just be doing the honeydew list around the house. (laughs) <laughs> is that i mean presumably um i mean obviously thanksgiving is a big thing for for you guys in the states isn't it but uh, presumably christmas is a big thing as well I, I mean or are you essentially going to be training pretty much all over christmas well i am actually fortunate that this airline is going to give us a christmas break Ooh. so yeah so i'll get up there do a lot of the ground training and then take a break come back down to charlotte for the holidays and then go back up in january for wow. sim and flight training fantastic so this is this is be your your second christmas back at home now won't it it will yeah i generally tried to come back home uh, for christmas or the holidays but yeah. but you're right matt thanksgiving is is a pretty big deal here in the u.s and this whole last week i've gotten a chance to spend it with with family that came from all over the the u.s here yeah. into the washington dc area so. very cool very cool. So uh, obviously, Carlos, you're you're getting on a plane and going to Oman for the week. Yes, and obviously, when I get on that plane, I'll be reading oh, uh, one dear. of these particular <laughs> items here. Right. Obviously not. Obviously not that particular one. Cause that's a, a TriStar. Okay. Or we could actually. We were talking about the DC10 earlier. We could go. Could go to the DC10 there. There we go. There's the DC10. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, Carlos is Safety getting on car. an aeroplane. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, Carlos <laughs> is getting on an aeroplane and going away on holiday. And I shall be uh, here doing. I've got a couple. A couple of days off this week, which is nice. Um, but uh, yeah, just uh, doing a few bits and pieces uh, here as well. So. Um, well, well, I hope, that's I hope it. you'll be here. Well, actually. yes, you know what I mean. Yeah, you, you, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, so that's it then, guys and girls. Have uh, a great weekend. Thanks to everyone in the chat room who's joined us uh, on this Saturday morning. I know it's a bit, bit of a different time, but uh, yeah, we have we like to do a little bit of uh, jiggery pokery every now and again. <laughs> so, thanks Speak everyone. Who's, uh, <laughs> and then, thanks everyone who has gotten up at a ridiculous.
ridiculously early time, Armando, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to join us on the show this week. And uh, yeah, to everyone else, have a great weekend. Enjoy yourselves. And uh, from me here in the PTUK flight studio, it's uh, goodbye. Yeah, Armando. Yep, here from a kid's bedroom. See you later. <laughs> That's it. Everyone say goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.